So the theme for the evening talk is the... It would seem rather a, a pity to spend our life just attending to the Fatima Bull. And we're in um, perhaps danger, in a way, of keeping to the known and the familiar to such a degree that we barely move away from it. And though you and I might marvel at what the human mind can make and create and generate, the sheer sophistication of uh, industry and technology, and sometimes it does seem quite uh, breathtaking every time you and I uh, take an aeroplane flight and the sheer precision involved every time you and I open up a computer or drive a car and one has to marvel at the sheer ingenuity of the human mind to produce and make and generate, and that the number of minds that are work and cooperating together to produce and manufacture whatever it might be. And although sometimes we'll protest and say, well, some things it's for human betterment and human benefit, and other things when we read that they could send a cruise missile from here to Russia and it can land within five metres of its target area. One sees also the obscenity as well, the unethical principles that accompany precision and technology. But all of this, impressive and extraordinary as it is, all born out of the human mind, is a further extension from the known. This has been fathomed and from this which has been fathomed out we extend that ability to fathom out further and we see this as an increasing degree as we might of sophistication which is taking place. It's built on the known, the known is refined and the unknown becomes the known and we move this. Sometimes we wonder, with all of this sheer sophistication, what direction it's all leading us into. Sometimes we see how much human minds are made to fit in with the value system of progress uh, along these lines. And in any step towards, there is the danger, of course, of a step away from. And in a concentrated culture of Uh, society that we live in with such high expectations on people in exams and in achievement and accomplishment and being somebody one gets concerned at what's being neglected and therefore in the drive towards in the steps towards there can be steps away from one of the concerns which of course we have touched upon here is what's the impact of all of this on our feelings, on our 
emotional life, all of that can be get forgotten and neglected. The degree of stress which can go with it, not only have an effect on the heart and mind, but also an effect on the body. And how much of the disorders of the body, great and small, are a consequence of too much demand on the mind, too much pressure, mind inseparably related to body, body suffers. And becoming more and more awareness that perhaps so-called hereditary genetic factors are just a feature of human illness and that the mind is perhaps having a bigger part to play in it than what we have originally thought, that the influence of the past and the present colliding together. All of this exploration does genuinely, we might say, belong to the fathomable. We can see it, we can note it, we can look at it, we can explore solutions to it. In all of that, even just talking about it, it can seem for some of us to be a rather small world to live in. It can get terribly cerebral, terribly mechanical, terribly uh, orderly, and the emotional response might be the occasional moments of being impressed with. And we have made a great virtue of sophistication of uh, technology and of the mind that goes along with it. So sometimes we need to give as much care and attention to step back from all of that, say yes, all of that has its place. And sometimes in the stepping back from all of that, a different kind of perspective. And just as I was uh, speaking to you there, one of the uh, features which uh, reminded me particularly is uh, in India. And there one can get um, past and present in the blink of an eyelid. And there can be the latest uh, Indian manufactured vehicle passing down the road and it's still overtaking the bullock cart. Just the same style of bullock cart and same bullocks for that matter, <laughs> uh, given the condition of them, as would have passed down the same lane two and a half thousand years ago. And although things appear to be changing in, in all of that respect, one sees that so often what we think of change is the ability to produce tape recorders and all else that goes along with it. Let me say, but what about the inner life? What about the condition uh, of that? Can we say in the space of one, two, three thousand years, can we really say human beings really have evolved? And the measurement of uh, evolution of a human being is not so much sophistication of machinery, but the signal of evolution is less greed, less violence, less fear, less confusion and greater wisdom. Where we see that, there we see the signs and the mark of an evolved human being. And where we don't see that, we don't see any kind of uh, evolution.
in any deep, real sense, uh, inwardly. So in terms of inner work and language of dharma, spirituality, going along the path, developing the path, or whatever, all of that belongs to a, a, a world of really developing as a, as a human being. In all of that, in stepping back from the fathomable and from the known in life, it can raise different kinds of questions about life, about what it means to be. And something we begin to see that our mind reaches its limits, actually begin to acknowledge the limits of what the mind can fathom out. And this extraordinary sense of touching the edges of the mind, of thought, can't go any further with it, has a wonderful potential to awaken us up. And so that we don't, as it were, imagine, think and deceive ourselves that our mind is the instrument, the final instrument, the only instrument for really understanding things. That thinking about words coming out of the mind, images coming out of the mind, pictures coming in the mind, may not really communicate something unfathomable. And therefore it leaves us in a kind of not knowing, as we were speaking earlier on today. And one of those is with, re- is with regard to the, 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 the flow of karma. And karma meaning that the movement, the force, the intention, the uh, unsatisfactory impact of the past upon the present. And if you and I look at plenty of circumstances in life, in others' uh, life, sometimes we simply can't explain why something happened the way that it does. And whether it's addressing one individual or community of people or a nation of people or a culture of people or, or, or the cir- circumstances. And it seems that sometimes our mind has to be fi- find itself quite humbled by its inability to grasp, to comprehend, to make sense of, to think out and, and think through things which happen in life either to ourselves or others. And one of the things which, in, in, all of, in all of that, that so often when we can't explain something to ourselves, we seem to want to give a solution, to have an answer in something greater than ourselves. So we create, I would say, we create for, for almost as a comfort for ourselves, a God with a capital G, who is omniscient. Who is omniscient. We can't explain it. We can't know. 
we can't work it, fathom it all out. So we generate, I would say, a, a, a day or two is all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, all-creative, because somehow or other in our own uh, smallness and in our own ordinariness, some things of life are just too big for the mind to get a handle on. And it would be a pity if we say in a kind of one-liner to ourselves well, things like the, the forces which affect existence just too big for me to get a handle on therefore I just go back to my fathomable and live in my small little world of dealing with the known and improving the known a little bit here and there. It's worth contemplating on worth dwelling on the inability to fathom out things, some of the important things which matter much more to us than the fathomable. That is a strange, strange thing. It's kind of full of uh, peculiarities insofar as quite often when we think our life is just coming together, and we're really getting our actor part apart. <laughs> well, that could be as well. Where we, where we really fear we're getting our actor together, something uh, happens and it falls apart. We let we go along on, on certain kind of flows of assumptions, including the past and practice, as well as others, and something just comes along outwardly or inwardly and the whole world our own world is suddenly turned around and we can't make out where it comes from how it happened or whatever it, whatever it might be but there's a shift and so what we had fathomed suddenly becomes interrupted through something unfathomable And thus we can't take any kind of ordered flow in our life for granted because the immensity of the unknown and the unfathomable is greater than what your mind and my mind can know. has to be. Mind is a, a small little thing. Just a little entertainment for consciousness. If that. <laughs> Similarly with the the very the way of, of meditation, also the same kind of um, uh, principle uh, applying that one of the difficulties, especially when we live in a uh, collective environment as we have been doing for the past few days that were in actually being here t- uh, together, one might be saying, the thoughts might be saying in the mind, well, I don't seem to have gone very deep during these days. Seems to be rather ordinary. And I keep hearing words like subtlety and depth of experience and seeing into the nature of things and and if I hear this word freedom once more, I'll scream. 
And, <laughs> and so the days can pass, pass by with the uh, repetition of themes and uh, uh, language. And sometimes we think we've kind of got ourselves where we're at, fathomed out. We actually think we know a certain conceit and arrogance with us that we really know how far we've gone with our meditation or how far we haven't gone. And we can say, well, I'm just the same as I was the first evening that I arrived here. And thank God it's over tomorrow morning. (laughs) The only decent liberation in this place. And and the mind can create all of these views and uh, interpretations. And therefore it feels it's got no depth to it no subtlety and no refinement and no awareness and, and still one has no idea of what meditation is, uh, etc. And this is one's 26th retreat. Uh. <laughs> so then one le- leaves here quite convinced of one's perception and one's uh, view of where, where one is. And then it might be that one uh, goes back uh, to work, whenever it might be, uh, uh, Friday morning or Saturday morning or Sunday morning or Monday morning or whatever. And then one has to li- listen to the, uh, the aggression, the cynicism, the negativity, the comparing, the judging, the put-down, the arrogance, the conceit, the bullying, the uh, agitations, the anxieties, and listens to all, all of that and just some of the aggressiveness that's in our uh, environment and culture. And then one just stops and pauses for a few moments or two and turns one's attention to oneself without any conceit and says, perhaps there's a little bit more awareness and respect and sensitivity and a bit more kindness and depth and equanimity and clarity than what I realised. But sometimes it only stands out in contrast with. It's only clear to us. So in other words, there's a kind of statement or confirmation of that insofar as we can... the thought may not be accurate. And therefore, the interpretations that which we have, if they're inaccurate, means that there's something unfathomable about where we're at. Because the measurement and the judge from ourselves may be coming from a place elsewhere in the mind, concepts, language, association, memory, views and opinions, conditioning, which is quite out of tune with actually what is. And therefore what is may be much more unfathomable than what, what, what we actually think it to be. And, and it also, and obviously, it can go the other way. 
uh, people who come on the retreat and or in other situations and believe or have been told or have experiences and utterly convinced upon leaving that one is has now become God's gift to humanity. <laughs> one had a little depth in the uh, uh, meditation and a few in, insights and felt a little uh, uh, compassion for those who overeat and one, <laughs> one feels now that one has realised everything that needs to be realised, seen everything that needs to be seen, discovered that all that needs to be discovered and now it's just a matter of letting the world know that one is now has arrived. <laughs> and it belongs to the area again of it. Rather unfathomable how people could think these things, but people do. There are a few wandering around the world, I shan't mention any names. So, mind can touch places, one loses contact and access to the place, one then finds oneself that the eye is arising, the eye has got a view and opinion which it is clinging to, and in its clinging, clinging to, that begins to matter more than the depth. What I had, and what I am, and what I see, and what I know. And the conceit begins to build in the mind which may have been based on original deep experience, may have been based on some profound impact. But gradually and slowly and rather insidiously, the mind takes it up, the eye begins to come in, and as the experience fades more and more into the background, one is actually left with a clinging eye and arrogance and conceit and claims and all of that that goes with it. Something hasn't been understood and to some degree that relationship as with karma in the depths of uh, meditation and how deep we can go is extraordinary and if it's not understood how deluded one can get as a result. Sometimes people do go very deep in their meditation, cling to it, identify with it, ego builds up, pride and conceit especially, and the outcome of deep meditation is great self-delusion. What do you think? somewhat unfathomable. Depth is supposed to see insight into the emptiness of ego and I and my and making claims over this, that and the other. Yeah, actually, the end result, it grasps and clings. And can we therefore stay in cl- and be in touch with ourselves well and clearly enough that we have the right and the freedom to speak about our experience, the right and freedom to speak about the depth of transformative experiences, and one knows the language of I is just simple description. It's not for ego. 
if we know that well and uh, clearly, then uh, there is protection for the depth of experience and protection for I. And if we don't, we're not only, only boring to ourselves, but thoroughly boring to other people who have to keep listening to how great we are. I, 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 I. And not surprisingly, in these kind of uh, circles, hopefully not the circle of Gaia House, but um, spiritual circles, you know, there are a few pretty big egos wandering around there. And one just be vigilant in oneself and elsewhere. So there's great depths of meditation. Unfathomable how deep we can go. Tremendous depths to it. And depths also in, in terms of our immediate experience of time and space. Oh, that's extraordinary. Extraordinary thing to have exposure to. And that in just going out and certainly uh, last night the stars were shining marvellously and beautifully and clear night and you know, it's just a little bit of what the astronomers and others uh, tell us is true just about the sheer distances extraordinary you know, that there are all these stars shining yet they don't shine how could they? lumps of whatever they call it up there. And the sheer scale of time when they keep just... Uh, yesterday on the news it said in, 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 um, uh, in the sea of Mallorca they were doing some excavation work for yet another uh, hotel on that lovely island. And the workmen found a cave. And it excited the whole scientific world because of the... What do they call them? Something stalactites. Eh? What they or whatever. And creatures that have never been known before. And the scientific community has got incredibly excited about, about it. And the scientists there swimming around in this cave thrilled to bits. <laughs> and taking little bits off here and there to try to work out just how long ago these things were swimming around in the same water like, like they are and perhaps sometime in the future there'll be bits of them <laughs> but the mind boggles at the sheer extent of time and space and here we are, our life. What is it? In, in, when we put it into the context of the field of time and space. When we just attend to the night sky. And how these small instruments, you know, eyes and ears, nose and tongue and touch, and there's just the touch upon that, and how is it that something so small, the eye, and going to, through the mind, through consciousness, can open and look out and just see so far? It's breathtaking. And all of this we lose sight of, we, we forget, because we get so preoccupied 
with the fathomable. We get so preoccupied with the ordinary and the everyday. And the unfathomable things of life can really be a wonderful uh, resource for uh, awakening inside of ourselves. So it's that potency and uh, capacity that we have to uh, turn our uh, attention to the ordinary in the everyday, acknowledging it, working with it, seeing problem in it, dissolving a problem in it, keeping that receptivity genuinely and truly open for something greater than, uh, than all, all of that. And in the, in, in the, the, the uh, respect of, of things like uh, 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 time, and, time and space, I mean, there's the outer formations of time, the, the, as we know, the numbers on the clock and the general social agreement about time. We're, we're moving towards the um, um, uh, new millennium and it's becoming a thing. They would say, oh, well, we know, so just over a couple of years, 1998, 1999, and there'll be lots of uh, uh, hype about it and there'll be a great thing about the new millennium as though it had some existence, as though it had some reality that it really, really was something called the new millennium. And forgetting that it's just three words in the uh, minds of human beings. And we either can make much of it or make little of it depending what the mind does with the word 2000. You know, human beings are definitely unfathomable. And with this, in time and space, making this formation and getting this, getting this uh, uh, established, of course, there's lots of you know, commercial interests uh, at, at vol- involved with all of this. And the... Church, the Anglican Church, just uh, also announced this week that it wants to get into the act of the year 2000 and there's such a shortage of Anglicans in England that they are desperately advertising for people to train as bell ringers. (laughs) And it takes 18 months to train a bell ringer and they want to have the bells rung in the churches throughout the uh, country and as the midnight hour passes and they're worried that there won't be 500 Anglicans left. <laughs> it's a side of the tide. <laughs> the Buddhists amongst you shouldn't laugh too quick. <laughs> so, Again, there's interest, extraordinary interest in time and space and what we make of it and what we do with it, both in its numbers terms as well, but also and equally, of course, in terms of this inner time and our relationship to life going by quickly and slowly and averagely, 
or whatever and very much influenced and affected by the, by the state of mind and you can't overemphasize the impact of the culture upon the psychological time and there was a time when one reads the old uh, text where if one did 70, 80, 90 uh, years it was regarded and it's quite evident in the text it was regarded that a person had a really long, long life they were elders within their community that uh, it was a a full and long life and that view was a, a very common view in rural village life these days one never hears the word long life is so short life goes by so quickly one's hardly born before one's got one foot in the grave and uh, the view has changed and with the speed up of everything of course the sense of life does get shorter and shorter but living in time and space is actually living in a bubble it's living within a framework of reference not the ultimate truth of things but it seems like, oh, I am living in time and space and therefore my life seems to be going by very quickly and I will die and there's a constructed view and part of the teachings of awakening is piercing in a way, definitely piercing that kind of bubble not feeling tied to time and space and then there's the fourth one which Yana is just about to remind me of. Oh, right. <laughs> Thank you. Good job he's here. Uh, it's the, the um, mind of the Buddha. But presumably he couldn't fathom out his own mind and so he, he said, well, nobody else could fathom it out either. I, I assume that's the motive. But anyway. <laughs> so... Given, where do I go from here? Given with the uh, the uh, uh, in, inner life and its um, extraordinary manifestations, even with the uh, mind of awakening, Buddha means awake, awakening. One of the uh, features uh, of that is how, in extraordinary way, in the field of dependent arising conditions remember, the field of dependent arising uh, conditions, those conditions arise together to generate and make manifest in this world a mind, including heart of course, a heart and mind which is unambiguously uh, being in the world expressing wisdom and compassion which is expressing depths of awareness, which is expressing the resolution of suffering and the whole predicament of being human and all that goes along with it. And for a Buddha mind to uh, manifest, the area of I 
has to be a minor incidental, just used for descriptive purposes, and in the freeing from the problematic feature of I, self, me, my, makes way and allows those flows and manifestations of conditions to arise which is single in its priority. The expressing of wisdom and the showing of compassion or kindness or heartfulness or whatever we might like to say. In attending to uh, all, all of that, sometimes also it can be unfathomable in how the myriad number of conditions come together, the, dis- the fading, the dissipation of I and its manifestation through action, of course, through language, through communication. A Buddha is one who serves the Dharma, who teaches the Dharma, one who is awakened who teaches the Dharma. We call a Buddha. There are those who are awakened and liberated, enlightened, but doesn't make them Buddhas if they're not teaching the Dharma, if they're not uh, servants of the uh, Dharma. So in some, the response, part of the unfathomability of all this, the response is uh, wisdom and uh, silent wisdom of life, no direct expressions of it, no teacher role, and there are others who manifest that through uh, teacher, teaching role in life. I say, well, how, how does this happen? Why is it some, three human beings, yet not manifesting in that kind of uh, specific role, and uh, others who are? Where does it come from? Because a Buddha is free from karma. A Buddha is not under the weight, nor burden, nor impulse, not imprisoned, nor stuck with the weight of the past. So one can't say, oh, it's come from his karma, or her karma. So, in contemplating on the, the mind of the Buddha and the, the, the teaching vehicle, but also, what is also unfathomable in uh, Buddha, in using it in its other expression of simple awakening, when there isn't awakening, then the everyday mind will have to say of its, uh, have to have to say, and does, and does think, what would it be like to be awakened? What would it be like to live a life without any mental, without any problems, without any worry, any anxieties, any fears, any violence, any um, uh, egotism, any self-righteousness or whatever. What would it be like to live a life like that? What would it be like to uh, uh, live, live a life in which one sees others as oneself and there isn't a trace of difference? What would it be like to be live a life in which one doesn't feel any burdens whatsoever from the past, none from the present, and none with regard to the future, including death. And so sometimes in, uh, some thoughts arise, or some reflections arise, 
or whatever, mind might say, well, all of that, where I am at, where, whatever the I is, wherever the I may say, where, well, where I am at at this point in my life, all of that seems in, just unfathomable. I'm just quite grateful if I can observe two consecutive breaths at the present time and all the rest seem as far away as Mars. And say, okay, when at the present time one feels a huge gap. And, and therefore, Buddha mind is uh, unfathomable. So, there's oneself and the condition of oneself in the uh, immediacy of just trying to keep things together day by day, uh, hour by hour. But, as the teachings point out so well and beautifully, that gap doesn't have any true reality to it. It's a gap which appears in the mind, which seems to create a distance between where I am and awakening. And that gap seems to have a, uh, a kind of solidity to it. And so we say to ourselves, well at this moment in time I am here and all of that seems terribly, terribly far away. God seems very far removed from me. But the gap can dissolve either in the immediacy so fast that we wouldn't have a, a simile to describe the, the dis- disappearance of it. In one moment, the gap's gone, awakening is present, and the problems of life have disappeared, one knows not where, nor cares. And for others, it's a genuine, gradual fading and dissipation in which there's an increasing sense of awakening taking place and corresponding an increasing sense of things not having that grip over consciousness that they used to have. And one is sensing and knowing the difference between the two. So therefore, as the tradition has said, sometimes with debate, which is rather silly, that it can be sudden, or it can be uh, gradual, and if we keep exploring, if the way of of the great nobility of the Eightfold Path, as all the features of it, we keep attending to, awakening must come, and the analogy which is used just as a log going down river if it doesn't get stuck on the bank, must find its way down to the sea. It's in the very way of things. It's in the very scheme of things, of the, of the flow of things. But, as I say, we may not know how close the ocean is in this moment. Not to let your thoughts be give them too much credence. Even though the thought may say, no wonder the Tibetans say, lifetimes upon lifetimes upon lifetimes upon lifetimes. They may be saying that so frequently that they believe it. But we don't have to. Let's not say, okay, there's a gap, there's a distance, whatever, want that to be uh, acknowledged, 
that, as I said previously, with the other one of the other unfathomable. Let's just see that as a thought, no more. That the thought is just the thought, the view is just the view, and therefore there's a genuine sense of humility, a genuine sense of unknowing and therefore that contributes to maximizing our receptivity and therefore the enlightened life, awakening, great liberation of life might be much, much closer than what we have ever thought as it is. So the areas of those four unfathomables of karma time and space, of the depths of meditation, of uh, the Buddha mind. All of that is wonderful things to reflect on and kind of bigger than our everyday fathomable self. And therefore all intended in the teachings to be uh, a valid resource, a real, real awakening. May all beings live with awareness. (coughs) May all beings appreciate the unfathomable nature of things. May all beings abide with a vast and liberating humility. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.